because you two are possibly the most beautiful photogenic couple I have ever seen in my life. Yes, you are gorgeous. Let's just put it out there. And I basically put this podcast together so that I could get Marion's voice on the record because it's the sexiest thing I've ever heard in my life. We all know this. If, you know, if we could bottle that voice, it would be a really fine 12-year-old oak casket malt. <laughs> but anyway, because you guys are a couple and I'm a terrible human being, I'm going to get you to introduce yourselves this time. So, Walter, do you want to take it away? Uh, Marion Aubry, she's uh, a fiercely intelligent, uh, amazingly funny uh, girl from the south of France who tries to make the world a better place by uh, yeah, being all around the world and uh, making our institutions a little bit better. She has worked in Afghanistan for NATO and now is in Brussels for the EU. And uh, she loves bread and butter. Maria, would you like to introduce the love of your life, Walter? Tell us about him. Where is he from? What's he do? What's he good at? No pressure. Uh, so Walter is uh, an amazing guy from the lowlands uh, who is uh, passionate about so many things you can uh, leave him in a corner and you will spend hours on wikipedia researching the most random information uh, he loves uh, dinosaurs and uh, playing video games is an amazing cook and sometimes i'm thinking oh i really want to marry this guy and then i realize it's it's already done so <laughs> And he also, yeah, wants to make the world a better place working uh, for um, renew on renewable energy and, and um, climate issues and um, is uh, great. So how does a beautiful South French girl meet a gorgeous lowland boy and eventually get married? How did that happen? And, you know, did anybody assist you along the way? Was there any great friend in your life who, who just helped things along a little? Well, Laura, as you mentioned on previous podcasts, you uh, hosted a wedding, a great, amazing, fantastic wedding in a home that uh, would be reprosecuted by other people. You not only uh, pampered the people who are already a couple, but you also put the people who were of marrying age next to each other at the dinner table. <laughs> and uh, so that's where it happened. I actually yeah, messaged uh, about uh, the day after the wedding, I guess, when I was back in uh, in France, um, just yeah to like casually say it was very nice meeting him, <laughs> and uh, I think we had maybe discussed that yeah if he comes to Brussels sometime uh, we could meet again, and then a month later, uh, thanks to <laughs> thanks to your husband, he, he had a good uh, excuse to come to um to brussels and uh, we spent the day together and uh, four years later we uh, got married in brussels uh, and uh, gonna become parents in january so thank you laura <laughs> <laughs> well it, that makes it sound all very easy marion was not spending most of her time in the south of france but in uh, in, in a container on a military base in kabul afghanistan which is made it for a very interesting first one and a half year uh, trying to see each other and and even and managing through the time distance to still talk to each other but we survived that and uh, now we're here yeah we had um, 
very late night calls talking until yeah well 3 a.m my time sometimes but it also meant that uh, we spent our first holiday together uh, after just a few months and he already met my parents because i had planned that that uh, trip with my parents to india and Walter's uh, brother was living in india at the time so that was a, a good opportunity so i yeah i met his brother he met my parents in a crazy city like new delhi uh, which was a bit stressful uh, but he managed so that was already a Good points. And then the first time I came for a couple of weeks um, during holidays, I was six months uh, into the relationship. I already bought a wardrobe and uh, uh, other things for the for the apartment. And at that time, I had to decide whether to um, prolong my my contract. Then decided that I will leave and move to to the Netherlands to be with him. I mean, we used to say that we jumped in. Very fast. So what is it that took you to a container on a military base? Because, well, I studied international security and, and uh, Afghanistan was kind of an important military conflict for, for our generation uh, um, coming yeah, from 9-11. And I was also serving as a reserve officer and for... Um, our militaries at the time, this was the main, main deployment. And as someone who aspired to work in a conflict area and understand better those issues, going to Afghanistan just made sense. And uh, I remember I started my yeah, professional journey with an internship at NATO working on Afghanistan. And I told my boss oh, on the first day, I said I wanted to go to Kabul. And uh, uh, two years later, I, I was there. I still look back uh, sometimes and with uh, um, bittersweet memories. I mean, it was not easy, but it was also a very enriching experience. So you, you guys exchanged phone numbers in Scotland. Your families met in India. While you're in Kabul, you decide it's time to head back to Europe and move in together. So you both end up in The Hague as a couple from two European countries, but two quite different cultures I would say in terms of language and certainly in terms of cuisine what was that like that adjustment well what helps is that Marion is maybe more Dutch than I am like Dutch are known for their direct communication uh, no nonsense if you don't like it just throw it out and I'm now speaking for Marion but I think the bigger cultural shock was coming back from Afghanistan and the container and the military base where everything's cooked for you and then suddenly standing in the supermarket with 50 types of pasta sauce to choose from and then having to make decisions about that on a daily basis. Yeah, and to this day, it's still mostly Vata who does the grocery shopping. <laughs> what are the things that you're talking about? What's been driving you crazy? What's been keeping you hopeful? When we moved to Brussels in January, free movement was still a thing within the Schengen countries. It was like, it seems so long ago, but yeah, it was, it was not an issue to see my dad in the Netherlands or my brother or my friends and they could come over here uh, very easily. We could go to France very easily. And now you see with the COVID crisis that countries are retreating back to themselves. Uh, so that's freedom of movement. And yeah, that's something that of course, we keep track of. <laughs> For our wedding, it was necessary to see if all the parents could come, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it also leads to 
asking about big, bigger questions like what does the freedom of movement mean in Europe now? It painfully shows that Europe is not one country. Yeah, I mean, we are like a generation for, for there was no border, at least in Europe. I mean, you both studied together in Rome. Uh, I moved to Brussels and The Hague. Um, and it felt that the EU was just a, a big country. Not knowing, for instance, when we might... Uh, visit you again, adding into that the, the Brexit uh, <laughs> drama. So that's definitely something that is on our mind. Uh, and I mean, I guess like for many people, um, the old COVID contest, contest and new restriction and so on is, is a bit uh, anxiety inducing. Um, but other than that, we, yeah, the, well, the dinner table we talk about. Our days, I um, tell lots of office stories too about her. I miss them so much. I don't know if he actually, like, when I mention someone from the office, if he uh, knows what I'm talking about or if he just knows. Uh, <laughs> so are you still going into an office? Because we in Scotland are not at all doing that. Like, so if you can, if you, I guess if you have an office job, or we've been instructed for most of this year since March to stay at homes. I mean, we had the, the proper like lockdown until early early May, and then started things starting to started to reopen, and I started to go back to the office in in June. But we had a, a ceiling on the number of people that uh, could be at the office at any time, so we would rotate and so on, and. I must say, I mean, it's it's nice to work from home, but there are some aspects that are also more comfortable uh, uh, at the office, like having a bigger screen, having a nice chair, uh, and also just being able to talk, I mean, with social distancing, but with people directly. Like the other day, I spent a good part of the afternoon exchanging with the couple of colleagues who were around, and, and that's really nicer than just chatting over the phone or via zoom-like uh, software all right okay <laughs> <laughs> you both know this is the only social interaction i get so i'm i'm very attached to my zoom at the moment i'll have nothing nothing said again <laughs> i don't mind it either but just to say sometimes it's nice to speak to people in real life it absolutely is i've been fantasizing about reuniting with you guys and and with you know friends even friends that are here in scotland that i have now not seen for a year because maybe before the pandemic there was no need to see them because i was always going to be able to see them in a few months when the opportunity came so i was thinking you know like what is that going to be like and I just imagine giving people like the biggest embrace giving them a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and then i got so emotional because of course I realized that's not going to happen I mean until until we have vaccines even if we get to the point where we can maybe meet up and go for a walk in the forest or something they're gonna have to be away from me uh, several meters away from me maybe that will make them happy but it's certainly not going to make me happy um, and it's something that I think as we go into winter a lot of people are going to struggle with with missing out on that physical contact and it may seem like may seem quite a bizarre thing to say but even within like our household as a family there's less 
physical contact because now it's just the two of us looking after our boy. Our routine is like we're working or we're child caring or we're cooking or we're shopping. Like we're just constantly running around. And, and so those moments of just peace and coming together, having a cuddle, watching a TV program, like they're really few and far between. We have to really make this space for that. It's a really odd social experiment that we're all going through. But I'm also optimistic that things in terms of our societies are better than the news is telling and reporting to us. Like, I think if you watch the 24 hour news cycle right now, you'd just be in the depths of despair. But I feel like this has kind of forced everyone to pause. It's been really tragic, but the sense I'm getting from everyone I speak to is that we're gonna be better. We're gonna try and do things differently. We're gonna try and improve things. We're gonna ask for things we were scared to ask or before, but now, now's our chance to to change how we work and how we are with each other and be kinder. And how do you guys feel about that? Do you think there's plenty of reasons to be hopeful, or are you just really pissed off that everyone's like shopping on Amazon? Like, how, <laughs> how do you feel about things? Like on a personal level, I think a lot of people have been asking them themselves questions what's really important to them on the other hand there's the uh, economic situation where you see that people who have something get richer and people who don't have anything and lose their jobs or who had temporary jobs uh, get don't get the contract renewed and lose uh, lose out uh, and that's it's has very uh, short-term consequences but um, yeah and i dread to see what the long-term consequences be and and hopefully it will make us rethink uh, the whole economy as well. Like how can we provide people with enough stability to be able to handle knocks like this and not put people into deprivation, yeah, the moment something like, uh, like this pandemic happens. I would say maybe I'm more, a bit more pessimistic. I'm, I'm really worried about the, the toll this is going to have on, on the mental health. I mean, we are really focusing on treating people for COVID and so on. But I think we are forgetting that also lots of people are suffering from isolation. And I mean, I see my, my parents who are uh, in their 70s and um, thankfully they are, they are together, but uh, sometimes they feel frustrated with, with the situation because they, are, they have arrived at a time in their life when they want to just enjoy and being told to stay home and stay away from friends and family is a bit is a bit difficult and they think, well, is that the kind of life we want? I um, mean, then they know it's it's temporary and and, and they manage, but it's, it's difficult. Um, I'm thinking of people who are uh, living alone. I, I mean, personally, I don't think I would have handled very well this whole thing if I had been, had been on my own. Um, but on the hopeful side, I'm, um, I'm hoping that it can also help us reevaluate how we value some of the jobs in our societies. I mean, it was quite uh, something to see drawings on windows from kids and, and people clapping in, in, in the evening for um, healthcare workers or people putting a note on their trash to thank um, the, uh, those picking up the trash in the morning. Um, and especially when it comes to care. And I read a very interesting book last year 
called Unfinished Business from Anne-Marie Slaughter, and also uh, more recently, uh, another book called Invisible Woman. And you can see how much um, women are doing a lot of unpaid work. Um, most women, I mean, most job in, in the care area or business uh, is also done by by women. I hope we can value those those jobs more because especially in a time like this, we really need people to be able to go help elderly with their shopping or their um, basic uh, needs when they are not able to go out. Um, so let's see how that can evolve. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think maybe to bring your two points together, I think it'll be really interesting to see if people stand by. I think my my worry is that perhaps this is the first of many economic slash environmental slash humanitarian shocks that are really going to wake us up. I think the way this decade unfolds is going to be really interesting. When you look back on human history, it seems like we tend to choose the hard way always. <laughs> like we tend to wait till our backs are right up against the wall and we're like, yeah, maybe we can experiment with changing the system. I hope that as our generation moves into more and more leadership positions and as, as the generation after us, the Gen Zs, um, as more of them enter the workforce, that there might be less fear about systems change, about really redesigning how we live and how we work. That's my hope. <laughs> we'll see we'll see how it pans out and we'll maybe have to do another podcast at the end of the decade yeah i'm i'm really struck by uh gen z's sense of justice and and what the government should do uh compared to uh our generation you should already see it a little bit in ours but um sort of this 90s notion that the government should just stand back and let people do their thing and and focus on individual liberty it's, it's much more an activist vision of the state and i and not just in a way that they expect that, but they also just ready to demand it, to demand justice. And that's also what we see in, in the process we've seen um, following the police violence in the, in the United States. It seems to be more of a sense of, of, of deep justice and, and an expectation that, that our society should move towards that, uh, which is very interesting and which I hope uh, will lead us to, to, to greater things. Let's see how it goes. I mean, it... It is a bit scary in a way to uh, decide to have a child in this in this world. Do you think what is life going to be for for them and um, when you hear about climate change and so on? But at the same time, as as Walter mentioned, this activism and um, and the willingness to to fight for a better uh, world uh, does bring some hope that uh, it won't it won't be so bad after all for for them and let's not forget that yeah despite I mean it's easy to think that the world is uh, is going completely into chaos chaos and and so on but we do live in one of yeah I mean in the best period in our history in terms of access to healthcare which we realize we need to to protect technology and I mean, all those things. So I think we are still, uh, yeah, uh, lucky. And we've got 
potentially a good 30 years of our career left um, to change things around. So I think while we can't fix everything, our generation can definitely be an enabling generation. So I don't think we're going to be in 20 years time twiddling our thumbs and waiting for retirement. I think we'll be doing everything we can to make sure that the young people with radical ideas are just let loose. I think, I think we all want human civilization to prevail, hopefully with a healthy economy, a healthy planet and with lots of human dignity. So I guess to finish off, I want to ask you both, what is the one thing you wish you could change about the other person? No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> to, to finish off, I want to ask you, what is the one thing you most admire about your gorgeous, good-looking, wonderful, amazing, intelligent, kind partner? Oof, tough question. <laughs> Where to start? Uh, I guess the first for learning and, and the curiosity, I think. That's uh, what I admire the most in, in about her. And for me, I think it's the, I don't know if ferocity is the, is the right word, but uh, really goal-orientedness, uh, getting stuck into a problem, trying to solve it is, uh, is great to see in action. I do a lot of Sudoku these, these days. finish off because I sadly couldn't be there in person can you just recreate that moment in front of the portrait of the king of Belgium and just sort of say you're can you like hold hands if you hold hands you'll have to do it so I can see it on screen yeah 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 hold hands yeah yeah and I just need you each to say I do so I can just sort of channel and feel like I was there we oui. oui. <laughs> <laughs> oh you guys are so sweet ah well i'm i'm so glad that you've got each other i'm so glad that i have you in my life and i look forward to that moment in the future where i don't get to hug you but just sort of can do a little happy dance about a safe distance away you know about two meters away <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to seeing you all again yeah. And it would be really true. Without you, we wouldn't be here together. So. Oh, well, look after each other and enjoy the most incredible adventure that is parenthood when it comes. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs>